Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, author of Visualizing Happiness in Every Area of Your Life and host of this podcast, Incredible Life Creator. And today I have Paul Epstein on with me. Hey, Paul, how are you? Hey, Kimberly, fired up to be here. All right. So just so people can kind of get to know you, I'm going to read your bio and sure. then we'll get into it. So Paul Epstein has spent nearly 15 years as a professional sports executive for multiple NFL and NBA teams, a global sports agency, and the NFL League office, where he has broken every premium revenue metric in Super Bowl history, opened a billion-dollar stadium, and founded the San Francisco 49ers Talent Academy, where he became known as the Y Coach. As an award-winning keynote speaker, Named one of Success Magazine's top thought leaders that get results, Paul's impact continues offstage, providing leadership development and culture transformation programs for companies and teams, including Amazon, Disney, Johnson & Johnson, NASA, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Dallas Cowboys. And his work has been featured on ESPN, NBC, Fox Business, and in USA Today. He is also the best-selling author of The Power of Playing Offense and is slated to launch his second book in 2023, Better Decisions Faster. Well, thank you so much for being here, Paul. Yeah, thank you again. Yeah, and I'm uh, excited to announce that at the time we're recording this, Better Decisions Faster is now out and widely available, and I'm humbled to say uh became an instant bestseller as well. So I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it's a really exciting chapter of life. Congratulations on that. So just Thank so you. people can get to know you as a, you know, as a person and personally, tell us your story, how you started out, how you got to be doing what you're doing now. Absolutely. So you already shared a lot of the professional accolades. So I'll just take it back to my earliest days, which you cannot tell by the last name of Epstein, but I'm a proud Mexican descent. And so mm -hmm. being an LA kid and living the majority of my life pre-work in SoCal, getting to go down to Mexico and visit family, like it really just started to mold me and and it made me who I am today. A lot of the standards, a lot of the values, a lot of these character principles of being in areas where they may not have a lot of things or a lot of money, but they have an abundance of now what I view as what truly matters. So when I was down in Mexico, the, the laughs and the hugs and just mm -hmm. the overall joy and happiness, it was exponential. Like it was just magical. And I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought that was the norm. And then, you know, you go through this crazy rat race of life and, and then eventually you get in school and you want to go to the best school and you want to work for the big blue chip company. And in my case, a dream career in the sports industry in 15 years, but it was those early roots of seeing smiles on pe people's faces when they didn't have much else. And when I saw candles, well, those weren't just ambiance. There was no heat in the house. So candles became a way to heat, you know, and little things like that, where you say, how can people be so happy when technically they have so little, but in reality, they have so much. And so fast forward, winning trophies and gaining all the success and the accolades, a lot of the things that you said in my bio, which I'm very humbled and honored to be a part of some really cool experiences, but I'm still Paul. And I'm still that Paul that spent a lot of his early years in Mexico. I'm still Paul that grew up with 
not a lot of money to his name. And my, my father was a teacher. My mom full-time took care of me. So very humble beginnings, but I wouldn't want to have it any other way because I wouldn't be where I am or who I am today without that start. And so I just learned to value people, value relationships. I really think that relationships are the currency of life. And mm -hmm. I was taught that at a very young age and I've maintained that. And, and, and also I'm very imperfect, meaning on my best days, there's relationships of people and a tribe of people that would follow me to the end of the earth and back. But on my worst day, I wouldn't follow myself. And it, it really taught me that you can, good people can have bad behaviors when they're unaware. And I think a lot of times we become unaware. We have a good heart and we want to do the right thing. And we have good intentions, but life is hard and life is challenging. So when I get up there on stage or I'm writing books or I'm expressing my thought leadership, I really come back to these simple, not easy, but simple and foundational principles that I learned as a young guy. And um, that's a bit about where I've been. That's so cool. And it's so funny, you know, we always expect people to be like us. Or we expect others to think the way we do sometimes. So I grew up in a family that was also very affectionate. And um, I'm an eye doctor. So I remember when I opened my first private practice, I was so excited. And um, when I um, call someone back to, you know, check their eyes, I would hug everyone. I would say, hi, mm. how are you? And I'd hug them and say, come on back here and I'm going to check your eyes. And um, after a few months of that, my business partner said to me, he said, you know, not everybody likes that when you, not everybody's comfortable with their doctor coming and giving them a hug when they walk in the door. And I had no idea. I thought, why, who, who wouldn't want a hug? You know? So yeah. it's very interesting how those things shape us. And, you know, it just points to the fact that we have to be, like you were saying, aware of how people are feeling or kind of feel out the person or the room or whatever so that we can see how to actually respond to that person and 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 best communicate with them. Well, and to your point, I think that's exactly why the platinum rule is a more effective way to live than the golden rule. And most of us are only raised and exposed to the golden rule. The problem is if I just treated everybody as I want to be treated, well, if they're not wired exactly like me, then it's not going to be overly effective. It's like I have a different love language than you. And if I just push my love language, that's not going to land. But if I understand your love language and I meet you where you are, now we can get connected. Now there's more empathy. Now it's, all right, Paul cares about me as a whole person. But those are some of those nuances that I feel like you almost have to live two chapters of life. You need to live the first in a spirit of learning and discovery. And some people could call them mistakes or failures. I just think of them as learnings, right? It's mm -hmm. you, you got to ask for the date and you got to get rejected. And then eventually you go on some bad dates and eventually you find the crazy one. And eventually you meet the one, but you had to go on some bad dates mm -hmm. and that's okay. And I think giving ourselves that grace, but really just understanding that life is not a push game. It's a pull game. And the pull should be very magnetic. The pull should be very organic. Um, and that's really, if you were to say what I attribute a lot of my success to, it's creating environments that were a pull effect because too much of business is a push. 
a push on my beliefs, a push on my philosophy, a push on my playbook. And that's just not what people respond to. Yeah, that is so true. And I love that. I actually had like a little aha moment when you said that, because I don't know about you. I don't like to be pushed. I don't think other people like to be, be pushed. We like to be presented with an idea or something new and have a chance to explore it and then move towards what works for us. Yeah, I have a saying, Kimberly, especially as a sports guy, pardon, I'm going to give like 80 sports metaphors through the course of our conversation today. But I, I share with folks, meet me at the 50. Meet me at the 50. So in the spirit of a football field being 100 yards, the best relationships, the best partnerships, the times of life where you're happiest and most fulfilled and you feel the greatest passion and purpose, it's when the person on the other side meets you at the 50. Mm -hmm. They're pouring just as much time, just as much energy, just as much care. That's meeting at the 50 because we've all been in those relationships where maybe we gave 70 and maybe we've been in other ones where we only gave 20 and neither works. It feels okay in the short term because of some way that we maybe justify it, Mm -hmm. but it's not sustainable. And the only way to sustain relationships and chemistry and partnerships is you got to meet people at the 50. Because I always say me going 51 is unfair, but I'll never go 49. I'll always be right there at the 50, ready to meet you. And then the right people will meet me right there. And then the people that aren't willing to do it, well, that's not my tribe. Yeah. So, so, you know, that is the way most people would like to have it. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about just the beginning of your journey. So, you know, you were talking, I talked about in your bio, you know, these different things that you've done, but where, where did it all start? How did you get into sports? How do you, do you get into doing what you were doing then? (laughs) Yeah. Kind of a fun story. So I was, um, nowadays, Kimberly, to work in sports or to break into sports, it's a really different scenario. Now, most major universities have a sports management program. And so it's very common that as you're coming up in junior high and senior high and you say, oh my gosh, I want to be like the athletes. And then you realize, well, I have a, a natural gift in this area of work. And for me, it was always sales. For other people, it might be marketing or operations or whatever it is. But nowadays, there's infinite sports programs sports management. It wasn't like that for me. So I never knew that I could work in sports. It was just something that I enjoyed as a passion and as a hobby. And I used to play and I used to watch with my dad and the the, the usual stuff. But here's what happened. I'm working for a fortune 10 company straight out of undergrad. I'm an outside territory sales manager. And as I'm driving my cool, sporty Dodge Caravan, so I had a Dodge Caravan. (laughs) People thought I was like the soccer dad, just driving everybody around. And I'm driving from retail account to wholesale account for the company I used to work for. And I had it, of course, on ESPN Radio, shocker. And there's a guy named Mel Kuyper, which even if you're not into sports, I'll quickly explain. Mel is the 
NFL draft guru. In other words, he studies kids that play football from the time they're 12 years old and he knows who the best prospects are. He's like, oh, I would bet on this person being amazing in college and eventually the NFL. And Mm -hmm. he's got this high energy, like this is how Mel talks. Mm -hmm. And so Mel comes on to ESPN radio and he says, have you ever wanted to work in sports? Have you ever dreamed of working for your favorite NFL, MLB, NHL? And I was speeding down the highway like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And then Mel comes on and he says, call 1-800-SMWW-NOW. Well, SMWW stands for Sports Management Worldwide. I made that call. I got in the eight-week program. I impressed the professors. They said, where do you want to work? I said, I'm in LA. I'd love to stay here. They said, great. We know some folks at Staples Center, which was the NBA arena. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to go work for the Lakers. And they said, no, we know the folks at the Clippers. And the Clippers were known as the redheaded stepchild of the building. We were the other team as Kobe and Shaq are winning their championships. And I'm an entry-level sales guy. A year before I start ESPN, called the Clippers the worst brand in sports. And then my second week on the job, the front cover of Sports Illustrated, the magazine, the title was Worst Franchise in Sports History. And they show three Clipper fans with brown paper bags over their head. And one of the bags on their forehead said, just shoot me. yeah this is i mean like you want to talk about selling the unsellable and walking through fire but kimberly what was so cool is this was what built my underdog spirit and my underdog mentality Mm -hmm. it was almost impossible to sell it i started in a cohort of 12 people i was the only one to make it to the third month on the job it was sink or swim it was practically impossible but I figured it out and the lessons and the insights and the growth and the development that happened for me personally and professionally in that chapter, in that window, that's what sparked the rest of the 15 year journey. Because all of a sudden I never relied on a team to win games for me to do my job and perform at a high level. I never thought, oh, if the fan base or our customers are being negative, well, that's an excuse to have a negative and a toxic culture. No. What do we control? What do we influence? And how can we create an environment of work ethic and positivity and coachability? And if I find people that have the right gifts and the talents and the abilities, that became the secret sauce. And that's why for me, I was known as one of the top culture champions in the sports industry because we created environments where culture became the competitive advantage. And if the outside marketplace, if the market conditions were very defensive, very negative, very toxic, I learned how to play offense in defensive environments. And little did I know that 15, 20 years later, I would write a leadership playbook called The Power of Playing Offense. Beautiful. So let's take a look at that. You know, you used it in business, but let's take a look at that in life. How do we apply that to our life? Defense can take on any form. It's hurdles, obstacles, setbacks, it's adversity. Mm -hmm. And so you could be in a toxic relationship. It could be a bad economy. It could be a global pandemic. 
A lot of those things, especially the more macro we get, once we get out of our household, once we get out of our office, if we just say, how is the world doing? How is society doing? A lot of those problems, mm -hmm. we don't control them. Right. They're external. They're circumstantial. And so is it going to define us? Is it going to start to impact our mood, our energy, our attitude, our effort, our reaction? Or that would be defense. Or on offense, you say, I realize those external circumstances exist. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not blind, but I'm not going to let it derail my progress, my growth, my momentum, my life. And that's the playing offense spirit. It's not ignoring that the bad stuff exists. It's that if I don't control it, why would I let it become toxic and pollution in my life? I have a choice. I have a choice on how I react. Here's a very, very specific example. And I don't think I'm the only person in the world that does this. And sure, maybe I'm leaving a little bit of information on the table, but I find other ways to get the information. Kimberly, I don't watch the news. I don't watch it. It's too negative. It messes up my day, messes up my mind. It makes me more cynical. I have a choice on what I consume. And I don't care what channel it is. I don't care if it's left or right. I don't even care because all that I see are agendas to divide people. And I live to unify people. Why would I prescribe? Why would I watch? Why would I consume? Why would I make their advertisers more money to create an agenda that divides people? But that's a choice. And I've realized that life is just a game of decisions. Show me the quality of your decisions. I'll show you the quality of your life. If you say that I'm consistently making good decisions with my health, with my relationships, with my career, with my time, with my money, that's a good quality life. But then the opposite's also true. If the compounding effect of bad decisions probably gonna lead to a worse quality of life. And when I had this realization that life is simply a game of decisions, that eventually became why I wrote Better Decisions Faster. It was a book to better the quality of our life. And so it was very much the 2.0 and the evolution of the playing offense spirit, the playing offense mindset. And I said, what do people that play offense do differently than those that play defense? And the top attribute that I found in all of my research, decisiveness. Decisive. They don't fall prisoner to the worst decision of them all, which is indecision. People that play offense do not suffer from paralysis because they embrace imperfect action. Mm -hmm. They don't get paralyzed to say, well, if it's not gonna work out or what's this person gonna think or what if, it's not about that. That's the failure mindset. My mindset is just swing the bat and one of two things is gonna happen. You're gonna succeed or you're gonna grow. You're gonna succeed or you're gonna learn. You're going to succeed or just evolve. Do mm -hmm. it better and different the next time. That's cool. Failure is wiped clear of my vocabulary. And that was a little bit of the spirit that I found holistically. That's not a work comment. That's a human comment. Well, that makes sense. And the thing is, when we don't make a decision, it almost makes you feel frozen. Like, yeah, feel really uncomfortable. Like, totally. you don't know which way to go. You're kind of like just kind of swinging back and forth, but not knowing what to do. And it makes you feel powerless. 
So by just making a decision, like you said, even if you made the decision, it was like, oh man, that is not what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> you know, if we can just pivot quickly and make a new decision. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the whole saying of cut your losses, right? Like I, I don't promise people are like, oh my gosh, you must be this amazing decision maker. I say, well, I guess that's how you, depends on how you define it. If you're saying that I have nothing but successful outcomes, well then no, like I, I don't have a crystal ball, but you know what I'm really good at? When I realized it, it was a bad decision or a wrong decision, I don't, I don't, in the, in the sports world, you know, they call them when you win two games in a row, it's a winning streak. And when you lose two, it's a losing streak and it keeps going exponentially up. I tell people, I don't have losing streaks in life. I don't have losing streaks. If one bad thing happens, I'm not going to let it domino to become two bad things, three bad things for no, 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 no. That's not me. That's not me. I am going to say, I realize that this was a mistake. I realized this was a bad decision. I'm done. How do I do better tomorrow? And sometimes that's just like, wow, it's not just always these big forks in the road of strategy A or B or team. Do I hire or fire? Do I invest or pass? Of course, those decisions are important, but sometimes it's, Wow, Paul, like you didn't show up with great energy to that meeting. Like I, I don't think you positively served that person today. And so instead of beating myself up, I just hit the reset button and I'm very intentional. And the next day, how do I show up with more intention, more positivity? And how do I warm the room up versus cool it off? Because we always have a choice in this conversation right here, right now, Kimberly, you and I, we either warm it up or we cool it off. I don't care if it's Zoom. I don't care if it's conference room. I don't care if it's our home. Do we warm it up or do we cool it off? And are we aware of our own temperature? That's the question I'm always asking myself is what is my temperature? And I just want to consistently be warm. That's the playing offense mindset. No matter how defensive and cold external stuff is, I choose to stay warm. Yeah. And I love that. And I was thinking, you know, the, that example you gave of, you know, you don't have a winning streak or a losing streak, or you're not going to stay on that, but it's so easy. You know, it's so important to have momentum. Yes. So when you have like, let's say two bad decisions in a row, like really bad ones, you know, how do you get back up and get that momentum going again? Is there a certain, I don't know, self-talk or something that you help yourself with? Absolutely. A great question. And I, I think a couple of thoughts is one, every day is a reset button. I literally have clients. They believe in this so much. Or do you remember? I, I don't know if it was Staples. I think it was Staples. What was it? The easy button? Was that Staples? I don't remember. Right? <laughs> yeah. But you know what I'm talking about uh -huh. on all the commercials and, oh, let's go find the easy button. And it was like a, a physical button, right? Mm -hmm. I have clients that have button a button and they have it on their desk every day and every day whether a good or bad day reset because here's kind of the mentality and i learned this from being around high performers in sports is when you win if you start to feel and taste your success too much now it becomes ego and that's that winning streak can actually be damaging and dangerous because now you stop doing all the work in the unseen hours because you start to taste your success so hit the reset button, even when it was a win. Mm -hmm. And then after a loss, you say, well, Tuesday sucked. Doesn't mean Wednesday has to suck. So it's a reset button. So there's a mental shift. The other mental trigger that I have is 
I remind myself that adversity is a cul-de-sac, not a one-way street. Meaning if one bad thing leads to another, leads to another, and it's usually downhill, that's a bad one-way street. Those are negative dominoes. But if one bad thing happens, I just have this visual. I'm driving and something really bad happened or I saw something horrible, but I know that I'm always pulling up to a cul-de-sac when something bad happens. I have the choice on whether I turn around or do I, in my imagination, say, screw the cul-de-sac, pave me a one-way street toward negativity, and I never want to pave that road. Mm -hmm. So now I just realize adversity is a cul-de-sac. And maybe the third that I'll share is you've been here before. So often when we get in our own head and we become negative, we beat ourselves up and think of the pandemic. Think of spring of 2020. A lot of us, and I, I blame the news on a lot of this too. The news said the word unprecedented so many times and it freaked people out freak people out. Oh my gosh, we've never been here before. And all of a sudden the fear and the stress and the anxiety and the unknown and the uncertainty and the paralysis and all these negative things, people just started to feel it. But then in my coaching practice, here's where I challenged my clients. I said, okay, perhaps we've never been here before. Perhaps we've never experienced a pandemic. True, but you just told me you were afraid. Have you ever faced fear? Yes. You told me you were stressed out. You ever been stressed? Yeah. You told me you were anxious. You ever been anxious? For sure. Okay. How'd you overcome your fear of the past? How'd you overcome your stress? How did you battle through the anxiety? What are those success stories? What are those comebacks? What are those transformations? And they started to unpack it. And I said, you see, you have a playbook for how to overcome fear and stress and anxiety. No, it was not during a pandemic, but who cares? The process is the process. Your mindset is your mindset. So apply the lessons and the insights of how you overcame those negative thoughts and feelings in the past. Now apply it to the present and now you're more ready for the future. Yeah, yeah. That is so true. And a lot of people actually did that during the pandemic. You know, you saw people who stayed in their homes in, in, in fear, afraid to even go to the grocery store. And then you saw people going out and creating new businesses and yep. creating all sorts of new things or finding, you know, re-communicating with their families because they've been so busy working and now they were getting closer to their families. And so people took it and did it both ways. They went positive or they went negative. And Absolutely. like said, it's just a, it was just a choice. Mm -hmm. So, but, um, so when you're working with companies and you're, you know, teaching your ideas about decision-making, how do you apply that to, to companies? So I have a decision-making framework and this is all inside of my new book, Better Decisions Faster, because it wouldn't have been enough to just say, oh, decision-making is super important. Now go make better decisions and make them faster. Like the world would be like, thanks, dude. I already <laughs> knew that. Like, like the million dollar question is how, mm. how do I make better decisions? Like help me implement this, help me apply it. So I, I took that seriously. 
And I went back to the lab for years studying my own decisions for better or worse. And then I started to have private conversations in my training and coaching and consulting work. And then even in my podcast and, and just really unpacking great decisions, horrible decisions, regretful decisions, and all these things that are just uh, tied to whether decision fatigue or decision overwhelm or paralysis or indecision. I studied them all. Mm -hmm. And here's the framework. I call it the head, heart, hands equation. The equation is head. Yep. Head plus heart equals hands is the equation. Mm -hmm. Head is your mindset. Heart is your authenticity. Mm -hmm. Hands are your action. So in other words, when deciding whether to use your hands, whether to take action, there's two checkpoints, head and heart. Head, do I think it's a good idea? Heart, do I feel it's a good idea? And just like when we're driving a car, we pull up to an intersection, we know exactly what to do. Green is go, red is stop, yellow is assess. That's how the equation works. When your head and heart are on board, it is a green light. Take action 10 out of 10 times. The opposite, no head, no heart, red light. Don't do it or stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And when one of the two, head or heart is on board, it's a yellow light. So when I write a playbook like Better Decisions Faster, it's to fill our life with more green lights. It's to create the awareness so that we stop running reds. And last but not least, the yellow, it is so hard. It is so messy. This playbook, Better Decisions Faster, is curated to conquer and navigate the messy middle of yellow. That's why I wrote Better Decisions Faster. Beautiful. So when you're going from head to heart to hands, are you looking at everything like... um... Like I've heard the, you know, the 10, 10, 10 book would matter in 10 days, 10 months, Mm. you know, um, all those things that we think about when we make decisions. So are you going kind of through a process of that in your mind and in your heart? Yeah, good question. And where I'll bring us is, first, I'll share a little bit of a scary statistic that, that personally scared the hell out of me. And then also when and where do we apply the head, heart, hands equation? So the statistic is the average adult makes 35,000 decisions in a day. 35,000. That freaked me out. Okay. And so that's hard to believe. (laughs) It's overwhelming. These micro moments. And now look, thank goodness. The majority are on autopilot. Thank goodness. So turning left into the driveway, brushing your teeth. You do not need to read better decisions faster (laughs) to make those decisions. Just you do you and keep those autopilots running. But in sports, they call them MVPs, most valuable players. I call them MVDs, most valuable decisions. Mm -hmm. The head hard hands equation should be used for your most valuable decisions. So an MVD is when their stakes are higher, when there's significance, when there's consequence, when there's value, when there's more meaning, when it matters to you. If the decision is important to you, use the head, hard hands equation. Because here's the beauty. The reason it's better, I'll, I'll unpack better and then faster. Better is because 
In a go, 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 do, do, do world, it's a lot of head and a lot of hands, but then we bypass the heart. So we've got a heart gap. We're not checking in. Is this me? Is this real? Is this authentic? Is this true? Am I really doing this for me? Am I doing this to please somebody else? Is this what my folks said? Is this what society said? Is this what all these, all this outside noise, is this what's going to look good on social media? Mm. That's not you. That's not authentic. That's not your heart. But we just bypass it. And we largely live in a head hands world. So what the better is, it A, forces you to check in with your heart. That's one. But then the other part of this is some of us are driven and Kimberly, I guess I'll ask you in real time. If you, you cannot say 50, 50, if you veered one direction or the other, are you hardwired more for logic or emotion? How are you hardwired? Emotion. Huh? More for emotion. Emotion. Okay. So mm -hmm. me too, me too. But there's probably many people that are listening in that have the opposite answer. And they say, no, no, no I'm, I'm logic. I'm data. I'm analytics. Cool. So Kimberly, for folks like you and I, that we slant toward emotion, head plus heart means it's not or, it's not either. It's not head minus heart or heart minus head. It's and, it's a plus. So for us on the emotion side, we have to make a logical choice too, because otherwise it can't be a green light. It's just going to be all heart. And that sometimes can lead us into some bad places. But then the opposite for somebody that is hardwired for logic and data and analytics, hey, you got to check in with your heart. Is this real? Is this true? Is this authentic? So that's the better is this holistic way. I don't care if you index on logic or emotion. It uncovers the blind spot. It just like it reveals like the best of all of us, no matter what our natural default setting is. So that's a little bit about the better. And then the faster is this. In seconds. You can land on green, yellow, or red. So now for all these decisions of higher stakes and higher consequence and higher value, where often we're stuck and we're frozen and we're paralyzed, a green and a red, you could just pull triggers. Green mm -hmm. is do it. Red is don't. And then for yellow, yeah, you might not pull the trigger immediately, but at least now you can identify it as a yellow. And now you ask yourself, is it a head gap or a heart gap? I actually have very different recommendations and prescriptions for both, and I'm happy to unpack that. But regardless, the faster part is this. Instead of being frozen for years or the rest of your life or never making the decision, now within seconds, green, yellow, red informs whatever your action should be going forward. And that's the beauty of the equation is it forces better and it forces faster. It's kind of a fail-proof way of knowing what the next step should be. Mm -hmm. And as you're speaking about that, you know, we're talking about making our decision ourselves, but um, talk about the, um, you know, importance of having wise advisors around us, whether they be, you know, someone who knows us from a heart perspective or someone who knows, you know, is a business maybe uh, partner or someone we know. How important is that when we're making these decisions to consider what uh, people around us are are talking about? Massively important. And I'll unpack the two yellow lights and what you just said heavily, heavily falls into one of the two. So there's a good yellow and a bad yellow. Here's the bad yellow. And, and it, it's based on this. Over time, over the months, over the years, do we feel like we have 
a higher propensity to evolve and change our mindset? Or do we think that we're going to wake up with a different or new heart tomorrow? And when position like that, people say, well, no, like my heart is my heart. My truth is my truth. So over time, I, I probably can shift and evolve and grow my mindset. All right. So the head can change. The heart's probably not going to change. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, the bad yellow is when only our head is on board. And if our heart is not, it's never going to join for the party. So mm -hmm. it's a yellow that will never become a green. So it's a dead end. And unlike a red where at least you pull the trigger and don't do it or stop doing it, this yellow can linger for months, years. And all of a sudden we end up in these really rough spots and that's the bad yellow. But the good yellow is when the heart is on board. And this is where you unpack the power of advisors or coaches or mentors or your spouse or partner or whomever. I've been in many yellow light situations where my heart was on board, but my head was just stuck. There was some pollution up there. Uh, often it was a self-limiting belief. Often I was just letting fear win. I was letting the risk overtake me. I was just playing small. And often maybe there was a gap in my self-belief or self-worth, you know, that's real. And what I found in those situations is the more we harbor it inside, that yellow might also stay a yellow. But when we have the courage to have that conversation with the advisor, with the coach, with the mentor, with the spouse, with whomever, and this is how I'm feeling and I'm stuck. And what I have found is almost 100% of the time, when I have that courageous conversation and my heart is already engaged, my heart is already on board. And after talking to somebody that knows me and loves me and cares about me, I can detoxify my mind. I can take the pollution out. I can overcome the self-limiting belief. And that is beautiful because now this once heart-driven yellow becomes this amazing green light because mm -hmm. my head joined my heart for the party. And now I can make the better decision faster. That to me is one of the most transformational feelings that I've ever felt when you can take the right yellows, the good yellows to become a green. Yes, beautiful. So I am learning so much from you. So thank you <laughs> as we're going through this. Um, but um, at this point, I'd like to for you to share um, what you're doing now, um, how you're serving people, how people can connect with you, where to get your books, all those those things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start off by saying that the home and the hub of all things Paul Epstein is paulepsteinspeaks.com. So that's just the fast, fast, everything and anything is there. In terms of how I'm serving, so a little over a year ago, Kimberly, I read this amazing book, Essentialism by Greg McKeown. And I'm humbled to say, if you look at the back cover of Better Decisions Faster, he's the top testimonial there because this book changed my life. Before that, I was chasing too many shiny squirrels and diluted focus led to diluted results and all these things. And now I realize that I should only be doing what's essential. That's the way I can best serve and drive the greatest impact. And so my big rocks in 2023, there were only two. It was speaking, which that is my calling. I feel inspired to do it. I will do it the rest of my life. And so if you lead a team or organization and my message today about better decisions faster and playing offense resonates, then paulepsteinspeaks.com, you can find me there. But speaking being the Trojan horse, the other thing was, well, of course, in a book launch here, that's gonna be a big rock. But how I'm gonna serve going forward, 
now that 2024, um, I may start writing a new book, but I'm definitely not going to launch a book. And so if that's the case, speaking continues to be my main calling and Trojan horse. But the secondary piece is, and you see me, I'm winning a shirt, win Monday over my head. It says win Monday. This is the name of my community. And my community right now is a baby because I've kept it a baby intentionally. And 2024 is the year of explosion. It's the year of mass impact. And really what this is, is every time that I talk and I think that person in row 20 seat eight, how can I help them? How can I serve them after we walk away from this meeting? And outside of buying my book or listening to the podcast, I haven't had a great way to serve. And so I wanted to build a community and a home and a tribe where I could welcome in folks to say, this is your home of personal growth and professional development. Because the spirit of Win Monday is very much about, we are momentum machines. It starts on this journey of Monday momentum, where a lot of the world talks about TGIF and thank God it's Friday. I want to surround myself with people that attack Monday because work doesn't have to be a bad thing. Work can be an energizing thing. And so if we're going to work over 100,000 hours over the course of a career, which is all statistically true, I want that number to fuel me, not deplete me. And I want to surround myself with people that find purpose and passion and energy in the work that they do because it's driven by service and contribution and impact. Those are the people I want to surround myself with. And that's the Win Monday community. And so- it is very much an inclusive approach to say whether I've already come in and spoken and it's that person in row 20, seat eight, and how can I help them beyond their, their work? How can I help them holistically win? So their health, their relationships, their money, their all of the stuff, all of the stuff, like winning in all the areas that matter to them. And then the other part is, what if I'm not called to speak? How can I serve? How can I help? And there are billions of people in the world that I'll never have the opportunity to speak with if we just rely on their companies to bring me in. So for me, I felt like I'd be leaving impact on the table if I didn't start a community and start a tribe and start a movement. And so really that's what the Win Monday community is all about. So whether speaking or joining the community, all of this is on paulepsteinspeaks.com. And also, Kimberly, I have a gift for all the folks that are watching and listening. Uh, on my website, you'll find the confidence quiz. It's in the main nav bar. And what that is, it's my way of helping because we cannot make better decisions faster without optimizing our confidence. And confidence is so hard to build and sustain. And so what I've done, I've built the quiz, it takes less than five minutes and it's free and you get a score one to a hundred. And what that score is, it's a data point on your confidence today. But unlike a light switch that it's on or off, you're either confident or you're not. That's not how I believe. I believe that confidence is like a dimmer switch. Plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four. And obviously the opposite's also true, but it's a very empowering feeling because if you're an 82, how do we get you to an 80, 83, 84, 85? If you're a 70, how do we get you to 71, 72? If you're a 58, how do we get to 59? And that's a beautiful place to be because now the dimmer switch, you always have rising potential. So we give you the data point. We give you tools and resources to build and sustain that confidence post-quiz. And that's just a gift that I wanted to share. So again, just my website, paulepsteinspeaks.com. Hit the confidence quiz. And in less than five minutes, you'll know exactly where your confidence is today. And then like a dimmer switch, we'll hook you up with ways to rise that over time. Well, thank you so much for that. Yeah. I really appreciate you giving that to the listeners. So thank you. So now I have a personal question for you. 
what gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one's real personal. Uh, it's making my hero proud. My dad is my hero. And I lost my hero at 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And so his legacy has very much become my purpose. Uh, he was a continuation high school teacher. And for those that aren't familiar with continuation, it's a kid's last chance. Uh, they've been kicked out of traditional school. They landed a continuation and there's no next stop. The next stop is the street. And he found more purpose and more impact in those environments than teaching in traditional school. Years after he passed, I'm in a barbershop not too far from where he taught at. And in walks in this seven foot tall, bulging man, tattoos on his body, like a scary looking dude, like somebody that if you saw in a dark alley, you would run the other way. <laughs> and he and I lock eyes and he's coming right at me and I see his hand go up and I thought I was about to get pounded by a fist, but instead I saw a finger, a finger that was pointing right at me. And he says, are you Mr. Epstein's son? I said, yeah. He goes, I thought it was you. I remember you were on the side of the stage that I graduated from. And anyways, I just wanted to come over and say thank you. Thank you. Because your dad was the first person that ever believed in me. Oh, wow. Thank you. Because your dad gave me a reason to think that tomorrow is worth it. And Kimberly, I never knew until this day that there are people around us that don't feel like tomorrow is worth it. This moment is exactly where I learned the true definition of leadership. This is what I've learned, what impact looks like and feels like. I saw the power and potential of what happens when you believe in somebody more than they believe in themselves. And so impact, being what got my dad out of bed. If I could have one-tenth of the impact that my dad had, then it'll be a great life. So what makes me happiest? What makes me fulfilled? What energizes me? Paul, was it a great podcast with Kimberly today? My question would be, did I make my dad proud? And if I did, then the answer is hell yes. Mm -hmm. And now as a dad of, Two and a half going on three-year-old. We're expecting our second. Maybe by, by the time that this uh, airs, uh, I'll be a father of two. And so we'll be a tribe of four. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just a blessing to feel like I found my purpose. I live with passion. I've gone from living to feeling alive. I feel called to do what I do. And my measurement of success is not metrics. My measurement of success is, did I make my dad proud? I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that story and just being so transparent with that. And, and thank you for being on the podcast today and for your wisdom oh. and your time. Thank you so much. And um, I have one last question before we complete. Sure. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Hmm. Commit to standards over goals. Everybody has goals. 
New Year's resolutions or goals. Tell me how that's working out. (laughs) (laughs) The majority of us, yeah, not too well for me either. Because it's arbitrary and it lacks meaning and substance. And sometimes it's numbers and it's like, ah, it's not about the 20 pounds. It's about becoming a healthier person, you know, whatever it is. But the standard is the standard and we can rise to the level of our standards versus goals can be hit, goals can be missed. And it often doesn't change our life, whether a goal is hit or not. But if you are a person of high character, which I know that everyone tuning into your show, at our best, we all are amazingly high character individuals. And if we are that, and we lock in on the standards that get us out of bed, for me, it's impact. And you just heard why. I refuse to have a day where I don't maximize and optimize my impact. That is my standard. Why? Because I want to make my dad proud. Why? Because I want to pay it forward. Why? Because I want to serve the community that I help inspire and educate and transform. But I get out of bed for impact. That's my standard. It's not to run a million dollar business. It's not that. It's because I would fall on the sword for impact. And so what is that standard? that you would get out of bed for every single day and deliver without fail. And then God forbid you miss a day and you didn't live up to the standard and then boom, hit the reset button and get back to rise to the level of your standard. That's a winning life. I love that. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Yep. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Looking forward to it.